Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. Hey, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, live from Road America, where it's the NTT IndyCar Series Rev Group Grand Prix. Two races this weekend. We got a race this afternoon on Saturday, and then uh, tomorrow, Sunday, an early an early race at 11:30. And when you when you're out here, come on out to Turn 14 for the Vintage Vintage Indy Group, where it's an open paddock. You get to see 23. Vintage Indy cars uh, dating from the 1930s through the 1990s. And it's a good way to see the cars up close, talk to the owners, ask them any questions. It's just a, a real history lesson in IndyCar and the evolution of IndyCars through the years from front engine cars uh, to the, the cars you may be more familiar from the 80s and 90s, the old Marches and Lolas. And, of course, the one I'm looking at right now is the March 86C driven by Emerson Fittipaldi, who along with uh, Emerson and Mario Andretti, put on an absolute clinic here in 1986 in the rain, shooting up uh, rooster tails everywhere, and uh, just probably the worst conditions I've ever seen a race in, wet as a duck, but I will never forget it. It was very enjoyable. And uh, joining me on the Midwest, I should say live in person, not on the hotline. Live in person. Live in person, it is David Hobbs. And uh, you've raced here at Road America in the rain, haven't you? I've raced in Road America, rain, wet or dry, and um, it's a bit scary in the rain because it's got very long, fast straights, and the road has got very little camber to it, so you know it doesn't run off the side like a street, like the street does. So yeah, aquaplaning is always a bit of a scare here, and of course these straights are long and very fast. But um, I always enjoyed racing here, whatever the conditions. It's just one of the great racetracks. But funnily enough, talking about rain and rooster tails. This morning's qualifying um, for now what is called the Styrian Grand Prix, following on the Austrian Grand Prix, was similar. The uh, qualifying this morning was delayed for about 45 minutes or more because it was so wet. And um, they 
it finally went out, and it was still very, very, very wet. Um, luckily for them, apparently it's not going to be wet tomorrow up in the Austrian mountains because getting the weather up there is sometimes a bit tricky because of the mountains. So was that situation as as the session went on, the, the speeds picked up then? or Well, not much, no, um, because it stayed so wet. Normally, with that wet, when it's drying wet, you know, it's kind of the last guy out grabs pole by right. some huge amount um, because the track is just a little bit drier. But it never got down to they they got down to about one one minute nineteen as opposed to a dry time of one oh two. And um, they never got any quicker. They got down there once they got used to it, but it, it never improved much. And, and Lewis Hamilton got the pole in the end by a cool one point two seconds from Max Verstappen. Those two were head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, they both did a masterclass in wet weather driving, which we're used to. Lewis Hamilton, he is pretty unbelievable in the rain, right from his very first year in Formula One. Now yeah. it's interesting because Carlos Sainz in the McLaren wound up third. Valtteri Bottas, second Mercedes, is fourth. Then Esteban Ocon making a return after two years away from Formula One in the Renault. He, he did a good job there in fifth. And Lando Norris in the second McLaren was sixth. So McLaren pretty happy with themselves, I think, today. Uh, obviously, tomorrow's all going to be very different because it's dry. And uh, the problem with that is if you're trying to set the car up, and apparently the, the FP3 this morning was cancelled altogether because it was so wet. <laughs> so um, the car set up tomorrow is going to be just a hit, hit and miss. Obviously, Mercedes is you know head and shoulders above everybody else, but are you surprised? By the jump, it seems like McLaren has made since the break. Absolutely amazed because they've been one of the teams, along with a lot of others, that have been really hurt by this. I mean, this is the first two Formula One races of the year, you know, in July. Normally we start in March. And so the teams are a bit out of practice. Uh, and uh, for them to have made so much improvement over this long winter without actually getting on the track is pretty remarkable. The car, mind you, last year the car was starting to get there. But uh, they really, really looking very good this year. Yeah, we could see the improvements, you know, as the season progressed. And then this year we were kind of, okay, you know, what are they going to do? But, yeah, they really – and, I mean, to get a, get a podium finish last week, it was really impressive. Obviously they had some help with uh, Hamilton yeah. and his misfortunes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, still impressive that they were so quick. And now but I think the, the, the other team that's kind of starting to step up too is Renault. Well, that's the one Ocon in the Renault is fifth. Uh, now, poor old uh, Daniel Ricciardo is down in ninth. I mean, not that far off the pace, but he had a huge shunt yesterday. So, and obviously he didn't have FP3 this morning to get himself back into form. So, but Daniel Ricciardo is looking good because you wonder how much the team is going to help Daniel this year because they already know that he's going to go to McLaren next year uh, as Carlos Sainz moves up. It's Ferrari, but moving up now. It's a bit of a, uh, <laughs> a bit of a second guessing because the Bastion Vettel was tenth, and Charles Leclerc was eleventh this morning, and Charles Leclerc didn't even get into Q3. Ferrari is just just when you think they're ready to make that next step, they seem to take a step back. Last three years, they've changed team managers, and just nothing. Just they just can't get to that next step, can they? They need to change their underpants more frequently, or something. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's very weird how they. Well, 
hey, you know, you hate to be a conspiracy theorist, but last year they were going unbelievably well, and they had huge power. That's right, yeah. Then everybody, the team said, yeah, we think they're putting a flanker on the fuel. Right. So the FIA looked into it, and in Monza, they lost like 10 miles an hour between three practice one and the race on the straight. So, and they've never been the same since. They had, you know, Charles Leclerc had, what, six poles in a row? Yes. And never got even a sniff of pole position. Uh, he came second last week, but missed with it. But again, he was very lucky with the misfortune that happened to other people, including Lewis Hamilton. So they seem to be struggling badly. And that was in the wet this morning when power is not such a big issue. So they've obviously got other issues as well with the chassis and the aerodynamics. Yeah, in the past, we've seen, you know, teams that would, would dominate in that and, or even in, like, with the IndyCar series this weekend, you know, Penske, everybody knows the reason why, well, obviously it's a well-run organization, but one of the reasons why they're so strong is their shock package, is above head and shoulders, above everything else. You can buy Penske shots, but you're not getting the, the shocks that Team Penske's using. No, no. So, you know, they have a, what, what, you know, an uh, unfair advantage, as some may call it, so... Uh, which they've always kind of had. So, but yeah, with with the fuel, yeah, it is interesting how nothing was, you know, in a court of law we couldn't prove it, but it certainly there's a lot of conjecture there. Yeah, and there's been a lot of uh, obfuscation from from the FIA as well as Ferrari. No one's really said, but they obviously, you know, you hate to say it, but they obviously were cheating, and um, they got caught and found out, and it has hurt them significantly on a we're watching the vintage IndyCar starting to pull out to uh, the false grid uh, in prepare, preparation for their uh, uh, session coming up here, and we just had one of the cars stall. Is that the most embarrassing thing or a driver can do is stall his car coming out of the pits? Well, yeah, but those, that was one of the old front-engine <laughs> roasters. Uh, I imagine they're pretty tricky pieces to drive. They, they do look very impressive. You can see why the Indy 500 drew so many fans, you know, 50 years, 60, 70 years ago with those front-engine cars. They look magnificent. Unfortunately, you know, compared to the rear-engine cars, they're a bit on the slow side. But I'll tell you what, um, a trip to Road America this weekend is a big, big event. You know, big Indy car race today. The other one tomorrow morning, as you say, pretty early, plus the Indy, the vintage cars. And um, I should be leaving you when I leave this studio we're in. <laughs> this wonderful mobile David Hobbs Honda this Studio. Wonderful. A CRV Honda from David Hobbs Honda. You want to have a dog if they have you? Um, Perfect acoustics for a mobile studio. Best acoustics I've ever had. And uh, I should be leaving you to go drive the pace car for all these guys in there when they do their half hour um, demo. Uh, when, when when you were coming up through the ranks, uh, you know, getting back to like IndyCars and that, the first time you're in IndyCar, I've always heard one of the hardest things. The first initial thing to get used to is the high revving of the engine and the clutch when you take that first. Is that something you had to? Well, uh, racing, do? racing cars and racing clutches in the old days were pretty, pretty hairy because the clutches obviously had to have a huge bite, um, and of course they were very compared to modern clutches they were very wide, big diameter. So stalling was actually not quite so bad because the flywheel had a lot more momentum than modern ones. Modern ones, I imagine, are very tricky to get going because they have those little tiny multi-plate clutches and I mean those suckers are either in or out and I imagine um, pretty, of course these engines, uh, the older engines were very
stool. When you drove initially for Penske, that was a, a four-camp Ford, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. How much of a difference is that to an Oppenhauser? Quite a bit. Um, the uh, Ford was a much bigger sort of unit. The whole thing was bigger, revved a bit more. Um, but of course, it also this is back in like 1971 when they had those great big turbochargers, um, which you had to spool up, so you had to do all that left foot braking as you went into turns. Nowadays. They're just flat out all the way around the aerodynamic. Those days you didn't have the aero. So when you, you know, you do, that car would do 230 down the straight. But I'd only average, I was only averaging like 170. So, you know, the corner speeds were vast, vastly less than the straightaway speeds. Now it's almost the same. Mm-hmm. And um, so you had to left foot brake because you needed to keep the throttle open just a little bit because you needed to keep that great big turbo spinning. Otherwise, if you left it off completely, the thing would be just dead in the water, so two-thirds of the way down the straight. And your first IndyCar race was, I think, at Brainerd, right? Was it? Ah, it was indeed. And uh, yeah. Brainerd was, it's now smaller than Road America, obviously, but for Bill Finley, and it's funny because in our talking to, ch- chatting with people throughout the weekend, his name came up. Okay. And, and some of you had no idea that you drove a Bill Finley car back in your first start, back in 1969. It was owned by Tassie Vanis, who was a Greek shipping guy, and uh, a big Indy support, supporter. Mm-hmm. And it was the, what they called the MG Liquid Suspension Special. It had it had the same suspension that came off of Morris 1100. Um, so it was liquid suspension. Um, but it was never terribly successful. But of course it was... Like all those oval cars in the old days, it was very offset to go around left-handers, banks left-handers. So at Brainerd, where there's most to- most of the turns are right-handers because road racing goes clockwise, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't very good on right-handers. It just, <laughs> you, you, you never set it up. You couldn't brake properly either because the cars weren't weren't made for braking because they they wanted to veer off when you're braking hard because the car was set up to turn left. So it, it, it very good well appreciate you taking time out this weekend and of course uh we're talking with david hobbs at road america for the ntt indycar series rev group grand prix make sure you come on out today or come out tomorrow two races this weekend and of course uh visit us in turn 14 inside of turn 14 at the vintage indy garage and see a lot of neat cars which will be on the track uh, momentarily. And, uh, David, you have to go drive the pace car. I do indeed. The NTT cars are out now for their, I guess, is qualifying. This is qualifying. Yeah. One lap they get. Oh, boy. Um, so they get a warm-up and then one so lap. I, and think, I think we go out in like an hour and two fifty. So. And the, uh, yeah, this is certainly uh, a difference for you know NASCAR, what they're doing with the lack of practice times. And it's hurting some teams. uh Kyle Busch is, is and his and his team has said it's really kind of put them behind the eight ball because their kind of modus operandi was get the car set up and build speed throughout the weekend and with the, with them with no practice just going out there and racing it, it's been a hindrance to them and now you have the IndyCar series here they had a practice session earlier uh, and then they qualify they they get a warm up and one lap on a road course which is kind of unusual and then they got the race today and. There's got to be some uh, tell you pluses what, and minuses in that, isn't One it? lap on a 4.2-mile circuit or whatever it is, it was 14 turns. Actually, 
With Steve Zaki, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove on 105.7 FM, The Fan. It is not. It is a pure race car. 
but it is uh, it, it ran at uh, Indianapolis and finished. They had a fleet of them, a uh, four-car team, if I recall. And uh, that car was out in Milwaukee in 1974, and I'm doing the math. Uh, that car at that time was about 40 years old, and that's basically about 40 years ago now, and it's like, wow, I'm getting old, I guess. So <laughs> joining me in the mobile David Hobbs uh, Honda studio, it is Guy Hobbs. And, uh, Guy, thanks for taking time out. No problem. It's my pleasure. Plus, I'm enjoying the air conditioning. It, it is. It does. Uh, that is an added bonus. Uh, yes, compared to the last broadcast it, we did. It, it's not hot and sticky like it has been earlier in the week. It's just a warm summer day, and you stand out in the sun for a while. You're going to get a little warm, but it, it's not definitely not unbearable. Right now, as you hear in the background, we have IndyCar qualifying occurring live, and, uh, looking at a few of the IndyCars left over here that maybe not doing this session or are tardy to the staging area, but a lot of neat cars out here, aren't there, Guy? There are a lot of, uh, and as you say, a lot of neat cars out here, uh, a lot of very fast cars, and it seems to me that so what we've seen, of course, we haven't seen much, uh, there's a little bit, uh, a couple of minutes left in the qualifying session, uh, but so far everything seems to be pretty close and tight. However, I was just studying earlier, being prepared for the show. This is the first time at Road America with the new aero package, but it's the same tires. So these, this, this is the first time these guys have been on Road America with the new aero package in the safety screen, and we don't know how it's going to affect these cars all the tires, particularly down the long straightaways, heading into a very sharp left-hand turn. Is this in regard to the cooling? Cooling and the handling. And the handling, too. Because we're not sure how it's going to affect the wind over the, from the front right. cockpit area over to the rear wing. And just about yeah, it's interesting, out. you know, the, you know, I was, when they announced the, the aero screen, I, I, I you know, I understand the reason, all the reasons why. I'm just not a fan of it. Uh, I've, I've always been, I always felt that IndyCar should have a prototypical look to it. It's open cockpit. It is still open cockpit, but, you know, to be honest, this is the first time I've seen them live like this in person up close. I hate to admit it, but they don't look as bad as I thought they were going to. Now, granted, I'd rather have them seen, I'd rather have them look like they did last year, but it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But being an old-timer myself, I don't like the fact that you can't see the helmet. Right. Of the guy driving them for yep. years, I always, instead of studying numbers and colors of cars, I always used to know the helmets. Brian Redmond's helmet, Pete Gettin's helmet, David Holmes' helmet, and that's how I used to know who was coming along. Now you can't even see the helmet. Plus the car going so fast, you can't read the number. So well, you know, I was mentioning, you know, Emerson Fittipaldi, the Emerson Fittipaldi March 86C that's here this weekend. And uh, I don't know if you were here in 86 in the rain, but that was one of the things, you know, I remember him, you know, he had the Marlboro colors with the glow orange and that, but he also had glow orange on his helmet. Yeah. He had the blue helmet with that beautiful helmet. And that was one of the things when you would see him crest over the hill was the first thing you saw was that bright front orange of his helmet. There's a crescent coming up yeah. from the front there. Uh, it was always uh, great to see. In fact, I saw Tatiana Fittipaldi in Elkhart Lake, in the village of Elkhart Lake yesterday. Uh, 
because in the old, for now, with computers and everything else, you know, in the old days, the drivers used to say, oh, I want this flag on here, and they'd mm-hmm. find some local guy in the gas station to do the paintwork, and then eventually we got some great painting and everything on helmets. But now, of course, the helmet designs and colors are just incredible. Uh, and the last time I had a helmet painted, seems to cost me a lot more than the original one I had hoped. It, it is, you know, and it, it, it's become quite, you know, it, it's art. I mean, it really is. And and some of the guys have kind of, and I, I can understand it. They've changed their designs and that. But you have, like, Bobby Ray Hall has had the, the red, white, and blue, but the red was always on the top. And Bobby Unzer had the eagle head. But somebody like Al Unzer or Al Unzer Jr., it wasn't unusual for them to change it with the teams they were. Allenser Jr. when he drove for Gallows had that like a black helmet if I recall or a dark blue helmet, and then when he drove the Penske he changed it to the marble colors. He yeah, the old folk or older drivers stuck with the old uh, and they stuck with the same color and that was it. And you, you never knew, you never didn't know who it was. Danny Hall, Jackie Stewart, anybody. But like you say, Allenser Jr. he would have a different. He had the low and brow helmet for a while when he raced in the 962, mm-hmm. and then he had another helmet. Like, but, but you still knew it was Al Junior because he was by far the quickest on the track. So, oh, okay, it must be Al Junior. No, we were we were chatting yesterday, and you you, you have a you know you live here in Elkhart Lake now, but uh, you have an, a a pretty neat history here at Elkhart Lake. Because uh, your father first, well, he actually first raced here in the early 60s. But he came back here uh, when he started racing the States, I think in 69 with Formula 5000 and that. And I think you were, your first visit here was in 72 as a kid. But you you, you, you had you and your brother had an unusual uh, opportunity in the summers here, didn't you? Well, it was very, uh, an, an unbelievable opportunity. I shocked Dad one year. I had come here in 1972, as you say, with him. And he made, because he was racing for Carl Haas at the time, who was based in Chicago. And so he had made Elkhart Lake his home base for the summer to be racing in the Formula 5000 series. And they would always travel from Elkhart Lake to mid-Ohio, Brainerd, uh, Laguna Seca, or wherever, and then come back to Chicago, Elkhart Lake. And one summer I was here, and Dad did all the traveling, went to all the races, and left me in the capable hands of the folks at Seacons Resort, which unfortunately misled me, led me down the wrong path <laughs> at a very early age. And then one year I was in, but we were, years later, 1980, I believe it was, we were in our house in England, and I just said to Dad, I said, what's the chances of me going to Elkhart Lake for the summer? And he said, pretty slim. And we called at the time Pam, Leak, who owned Seekman's Resort with Doug, and she said we'd love to have him. And I came over here in June something of 1918. I basically never left. A few stints here and there, and a few. Oh, obviously, the first couple of years I went home, went back to sure. I was still in school. school. Yeah, yeah. But uh, then I came back, and then just a, a quick story for you. I I got married to a girl from Manitowoc. And then following that, there has been seven weddings between the village of Elkhart Lake, which it only has about 10 people in anyway, and the village I grew up in England, which has about 11 people in it. So it's amazing. Uh, 
unfortunately, there's been five divorces, but there were seven <laughs> weddings. <laughs> so, what, what, when you, as a kid, when your dad was driving, what, what's one of the memories that kind of sticks in your head here? Uh, well, I was not necessarily with your dad or just you from a racing point of view at Road America here. I got to put you on the spot. Well, some of, I took, one of my funnest memories was here in Elkhart Lake. And I was when Dad was racing for Carl Hogan in the Formula 5000 series. And we became very good friends. My brother and I became very good friends with the, the mechanics because they were all, they weren't our age, but they were closest to our age. And also great fun, as you can imagine, mechanics back in the 70s were. And we used to spend an awful lot of time with them in the lake or on boating on the lake, water skiing with it, basically completely mad race mechanics from the 70s. That may have been where it all went horribly wrong, but no. Uh, and the traveling, because at, at the time I didn't enjoy the traveling at all, uh, but we got to see a great deal of America, and we did a lot of it in a car, and that's when I fell in love with America, and I said, well, I'm, I'm going there at some point. Uh, and I've been here ever since. Neat stuff, yeah. I think actually one of my weirdest memories I would say, would be in, in Ontario. It was my first ever oval. Really? And I had never, because in England we don't have any ovals. Well, Brooklyn, it's before your time. It was before my time. And then and to come to the road races, which was nothing unusual for me, because obviously in England we'd been to Silverstone, Brown's Hatch, Mallory Park, Old Park, and done all that. Uh, but then to go to an oval for the first time, I just could not, I couldn't grasp the oval at all. I'm like, so what are they doing? They're just going to go around there 200 times in the same direction, the same, and they did. And I'm like, wow, that is scary. Neat stuff. Talking with uh, Guy Hobbs on uh, Road America here, IndyCar Weekend, and uh, we're here at the Vintage Indy Display inside Turn 14. If you're out here listening, come on out and visit with us. Uh, We have IndyCar qualifying occurring now. They're qualifying in two groups, and I think Group 2 is coming out now. And uh, then after that, the vintage IndyCars will be on track. And then tomorrow, uh, the IndyCar race is a bit earlier. We'll also have vintage IndyCars uh, on, on track tomorrow. So lots of stuff to come out here. And it, uh, unfortunately, the paddock for the IndyCars is closed. But uh, the, the paddock for the vintage IndyCars is open. So it's an opportunity for you to, to come down here, see the cars up close, talk to the owners. They'll be more than happy to answer any questions that you have. And uh, if you're going to be staying around a little bit later tonight, uh, there's an opportunity for for fans to come down to uh, downtown Elkhart Lake and perhaps meet some uh, auto racing personalities in person at Seepkins. And uh, as a guy, you'll be hosting a Q&A down there tonight. I will be hosting a Q&A. I can't promise who's going to be there. I have been told that Jimmy Bassett will definitely be there. And there were two or three other drivers that were scheduled to be there, but because of the virus, certain drivers are not being allowed to leave the track at all or certainly not go out and mingle, not because they have the virus, but so they don't catch the virus. Yeah, they've been very, very careful um, with, you know, because obviously, I, 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 well, well, I guess we'll just let's drop some names, uh, Lee Diffie who were, was with us last night, he was saying he doesn't even have access, full access to the paddock. They're very sequestered, and they're sequestering, you know, the media, the limit, very limited people that are here, and they're 
kind of doing it the same. NASCAR and IndyCar kind of teamed up, and they, they came up with this strategy where they're uh, sequestering all the groups. So um, the media people, which is very limited, it's basically only TV, and just a few of the national media people are, are in a group together, and but yet they're not had, don't have access like they usually would to the IndyCar paddock. The IndyCar paddock is very sequestered where only you can only have I think ten or whatever amount of people in per team, and and they they don't even necessarily intermingle with the other teams. So it's very very controlled. And then they go back to their hotel, and uh, you know, guy and I were talking about bringing some drivers into town. They would love to, but there's a perception of well, if you're going to do all this sequestering at the track and everything else, it doesn't make sense than to have them mingling with the great unwashed in the public, as they would say. So, yeah, I, I understand it, you know, where, where they're coming from. So, but we've been, uh, I think uh, maybe Max Pappas might be down there too, uh, who's always an entertaining interview. So, I mean, it'll, come on down. We'd love to have you down there. And uh, it should be a lot of fun and, and full of surprises, as they say. Uh, and I'll be the most surprised by and, it. Yes. And you get, there. we were actually going to be offering a door prize uh, tonight, a autographed David Hobbs plaque. Oh, that is correct. Yes, I have forgotten. Made that. by my lovely wife Susan, who does that on the side. It's uh, David, and is probably one of his most popular cars when he drove for a team McLaren back in '74. The Carlene, the Carlene uh, black, uh, black Lab, Black Label McLaren M16B, in which he finished fifth at Indianapolis. And if you uh, get a drink of him, and him, he thinks he should have finished third because Billy Bukovic passed him late in the race, and he was really mad because that was the year they were uh, doing fuel, and they went a little too conservative on the field, and he had fuel left over where the goal is not to have any fuel left over, and they kind of miscalculated. So, But, no, come on down. We'd love to have it. It's a chance for you to win a really cool David Hobbs piece of memorabilia, and uh, it should be a good time. Looking forward to it. And I believe there's a special on some drinks through Seekin. Yes. Uh, there will be food there. And I know that there's some, not some drivers, but there's some other related celebrities from the IndyCar series who will be appearing uh, for one, just a name drop. Russ Thompson, who is probably the number one yes, yes. statistician of IndyCar for the last 50 years. Uh, he'll be there, uh, ready to answer questions too. If you want to walk up there and say, "Hey, who won on the second lap of the yellow flag at Pocono in 1927?" He won't even Russ. think about it. He's, he's like Ken Jennings on Jeopardy. Russ is the guy who makes the guys on TV sound very smart. So, yes. Russ, uh, guy, we're getting uh, late to a break here. Let's take a quick, quick break. When we come back, we're going to hear from uh, Mike Lashman from the Vintage Indie Group that's down here inside Turn 14. At, uh, at Road America, and we'll be back after this on the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway and David Hobbs Honda. Final inspection show at Road America, where we have a full weekend of activities, and I know a lot of the fans and listeners have been 
eager to get back to watching races as, of course, local speedways like Slinger and Wilmot. Of course, the legendary Great Lakes Dragway has opened up over the last few weeks. And uh, Road America also, they've had the June sprints here and some moto racing. Motorcycle racing was in here a couple weeks ago. But the big weekend is this weekend. The NTT IndyCar Series is back. And along with that, a really cool component of that weekend or this weekend, I should say, is the Vintage IndyCars. And joining me on the show is Mike Lashman from the Vintage IndyCar Regi- Vintage Indy Registry. <laughs> and, uh, Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. And you can just say Vintage Indy. How's that? That works out. Keep it simple. And uh, nice, very nice turnout of, of cars. That's going to be out here all weekend. And uh, how many cars do we have this weekend? Uh, there's 23 here, I believe. 23 vintage Indy cars ranging from the 1930s up to a 2005 Paynos. And what's nice about that is, you know, especially for the fans that have been coming out here for many years, there's, a, there's actually some cars that raced out here, uh, whether it's the, um, we're looking at an 86 March C, the Emerson Fittipaldi, and that's, that's real, uh, that brings back a lot of memories for me because uh, some of the fans may remember that, uh, the, the rain out, we had a double rain out uh, that weekend, and they came back a few weeks later. It was wet again, and I mentioned this before in the show. One of the richest IndyCar cart memories I have is on that first lap, them cresting over the hill, coming into turn five at Emerson Fittipaldi in that march with the biggest rooster tail I had ever seen. And him and Mario Andretti just put on a clinic of driving in the rain that weekend. A miserable conditions i mean you can't get wetter than wet but it was wonderful <laughs> so yeah. just a lot of neat cars out here ej uh, foy copenhagen lola we have uh, a cool genesee pc7 chevy that ran out here when car returned that these are the cars that have raced here we have some indie roadsters which didn't but a lot of fans of the milwaukee mile course and indy will see those cars out here too so there's just something for uh, everybody here isn't there mike yeah, this is just a great collection of cars for all the Wisconsin fans up here, and uh, including the STP Turbine car, the pole-winning 68 Lotus 56 that was driven by Joe Leonard, and 72 Olsenite Eagle of Bobby Unser's. We actually have four uh, Dan Gurney All-American Racers Eagles here, and uh, just really a splendid collection of cars. We're thrilled to be here. The weather's beautiful. Huge uh, turnout of fans in our paddock, and... Uh, just want to thank all the great folks, George Brugenthies and Mike at Road America for inviting us, and Jay Fry from IndyCar, and of course, Mr. Roger Penske. You bet. And uh, this is a, quite a neat organization that you have, too, as you and Ron Nelson started it a few years ago, and Ron has stepped aside for some health issues, and you're, you're kind of char- leading the charge, but kind of explain uh, briefly how the organization came about, and it's more just than IndyCar is showing up uh, at a race weekend, correct? Right. It's we do a lot of different act, social activities, host barbecues, and oh, just a little bit of everything, and really try to engage with the fans. But the way it started, uh, my background being an IndyCar mechanic from back in the '70s, and remaining a fan, and you know, someone interested in IndyCar racing, uh, I got invited out to Dan Gurney's shop, which I hadn't been to in California for years. About four years ago in 2016 and uh, Philippe de Lispinay was bringing the 72 Olsenite Eagle back to Indianapolis for the 100th running in the historic uh, vintage meet there and asked if I'd come along and help crew so it really opened my eyes up to the vintage thing and uh, at the time Gary Monshine was doing 
classic racing times events and uh, went to a couple of his events and became friends with him and I said to Gary gee somebody needs to start a registry for all these vintage Indy cars that are out there because uh, by then I had calculated there were a lot and there are a lot and Gary said I'm too busy why don't you do it so I got the registry going and Ron Nelson from Cedarburg Wisconsin uh, said would you like a partner and I said sure come on and help me and we thought we'd just start an online, you know, a registry and a website. Well, one thing led to another, and it morphed into a track event down at Gateway with IndyCar three years ago. And you know, we're off and running. We've been to the Milwaukee Mile and Gateway, and now here at Road America. And there's a lot of great things on the horizon. And that's kind of the whole backstory on Vintage Indy. And what's neat is the website too. If uh, has a, not, a lot of neat documentation on some of the cars, too, if they want to look up or they had a question. I wonder if this car is still around and uh, you have a neat kind of like a photo base and, and what history of the cars, too. Yeah, we've got over 162 members in the registry, and anybody can join the registry uh, on our website. It's vintageindyregistry.com. Uh, right now we've got 80 cars on there. They're by years uh, from the 1930s up through... Uh, the year 2000 uh, but actually there's a, about 200 cars now in the registry but uh, I, I redid the website a couple of months ago and I've only got 80 cars up there so far but that's a lot of cars and it's just chock full of pictures and uh, there's a place on our homepage where you can reach out to us with a question and I get a lot of questions about the cars I try to answer all those emails and uh, try to really engage with the fans because we know the fans love these older cars. Steve Zotke on the final inspection show at Road America this weekend for the Indy cars, talking to Mike Lashman from Vintage Indy. And certainly, you know, with these cars, with some of these older cars, they would, uh, they'd be built, let's say, a Roadster maybe built in 1959, but that car may have raced for years on the circuit. That's correct. You know, uh, a lot of the Watson Roadsters had pretty long lives, you know, uh, roughly from say the late 50s up through 65 66 and then a lot of them got sold off and modified heavily and turned into pavement super modifieds and you know these cars have been found in all sorts of con different conditions and uh restored back meticulously to the way they were originally and uh many of these cars are just simply works of art and very valuable cars they range in you know value from 250,000 to way north of a million so we got a couple cars here this weekend that are north of a million five so you know these cars are really historic they're iconic cars and they're just beautifully maintained yeah there, there's a one one example of a car that ran for many years is a uh, we have an Eagle that uh, was built by Dan Gurney's uh, facilities on Santa Ana, California. It was built in, what, 72? And that car ran for, like, seven years and went through multiple modifications as the the some of the lesser teams didn't necessarily have the money to buy a new car, but they would certainly modify their cars and do what they can to make it more competitive. Uh, yes, that would be the car owned by Mick Anderson from Menominee, Wisconsin, and that's the sport eagle number 92 and that was actually lloyd ruby's car in 1973 commander motorhomes car turbo offy car mike devon was the crew chief and at the california 500 that year someone blew a motor in front of him and the crankshaft broke and uh, lloyd actually couldn't avoid running over part of the crankshaft and it damaged the tub severely and uh, the car was basically destroyed and 
Uh, Commander Motorhomes went on to acquire another New Eagle to replace it, but the tub sat around for two, th three years damaged. Mike Devin, the chief mechanic, kept it. And Bill fin Finley, another really famous IndyCar mechanic who was a low-budget team uh, chief mechanic, ended up with that tub and completely reconfigured that Eagle, and it came back to uh, make, I think, Steve, two 500s with John Mailer after that. And that car's here today, and it's just a you know an example of the ingenuity and the perseverance that you know IndyCar mechanics had back in that period of time. And what's nice about these vintage Indy events is it's it's a low key gathering, and the owners are more than happy to to answer any questions fans may have. Yeah, the fan, the the owners and the drivers. A lot of the owners are the drivers. Some aren't, but. Uh, even the mechanics here, they just love the engagement with the fans. They love answering questions, and they love to, you know, see people looking at their cars and admiring the cars. And uh, speaking of mechanics, I mean, there's a lot of really famous IndyCar mechanics along with these cars this weekend. These are former mechanics like Rick Duman. His father was Ronnie Duman. A lot of uh, people that have gone to the Milwaukee Mile years ago will remember his dad and his father lost his life at the Milwaukee Mile in uh, June of 68. And then we've got Don Hovel, who worked for Paul Newman and Carl Haas at Newman Haas for 22 years. And just there's just people like that throughout the paddock with a lot of knowledge. And they love engaging with the fans and answering their questions and whatnot. Yeah, certainly a lot of history. And uh, for those coming up, maybe later today or tomorrow, uh, we have races both days today and tomorrow at, the, at Road America. Uh, we're located just inside of Turn 14 pretty much a pit exit or a pit entrance i should say as they're going up the hill it's a covered area too um and and what's nice you, you can look at the cars and and be be in the shade and stay cool yeah we're in the uh, lester carport that's our garage area inside the north paddock and uh, you don't need a pit pass to come down in our vintage indy paddock indy cars paddock this weekend is a closed paddock ours is open and uh you don't need any special set of credentials to come down in here and Look at the cars and the displays. The Mini Challenge has a display here this weekend with us, and as does uh, 715 Motor Works out of Wisconsin. And uh, they brought a couple of examples of the two-seater Troy Indy Special Street Roadster that they're building now. And uh, there's just a lot to see, and we welcome fans to come down and you know just take it all in. And, so, and those on the way up, uh, stopping in, you know, if you if you have like a, a, set, a campground set up, like in Turn Three or something, you, you can drive your car down here. There's ample parking, and it's a short walk if if you, if you can't get that close. But come on down, take a look, and uh, just an enjoyable weekend. It's a nice little a little extra taste this weekend with when you're watching the Indy cars on track. That's correct, and uh, one of our major sponsors, I have to mention our sponsor, Steve, uh, is Haggerty Insurance. Yes. And uh, hopefully all of you know Haggerty or have your, you know, specialty car, collector car insured with Haggerty. And come down to our paddock and we have a Haggerty, Haggerty table set up. You can pick up a free Haggerty swag bag. Anybody can get one. We've got sunglasses, earplugs, uh, you name it. And come by and grab some swag and say hi. And uh, I also want to shout out to uh, Omo Legato Watches out of the UK. They're a new sponsor of ours. And... We'll be giving out the Omo Legato Award this weekend and, of course, Bell Helmets, and we'll give out the Bell Helmet Award to one of the lucky drivers here tomorrow. Excellent. Looking forward to it, and come on out and see the not only the NTT IndyCar Series at Road America, but also the Vintage Indy uh, set up here inside Turn 14 at Road America. And uh, we'll be back after this. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Railway and David Hobbs Honda.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.